electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Julia Borston, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Happy Friday. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm John Fort with Deirdre Bosa. Ahead this hour, banks baffle the market. A messy, mixed Main Street rollout takes its toll on Wall Street. Lending and loans in focus as earnings season kicks off. We're going to break down those results and the impact on fintech today. Plus, we are also talking Tesla, uh, cutting its car prices, getting the rare sell call at Guggenheim this morning, why the street is turning bearish on a Tesla turnaround. And it's not just Elon under pressure this morning. More details on Peltz's proxy fight at Disney and a challenge to Microsoft's bid for Activision from NVIDIA. All coming up in the next 60 Minutes. A very busy 60 Minutes and happy Friday, John. It is a mixed day so far for stocks with the major averages way off lows and fighting to get into the green. A positive consumer sentiment number outweighing some very messy bank results. Healthcare staples, those are your leaders. Utilities and financials, the laggards. On the move right now, transports and defense, Ford, GM, Delta, the worst performers on the S&P, Tesla and Rivian, the laggards on the NASDAQ. The banks, they are attempting to claw back from a big early morning decline. You've got Wells Fargo, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan and Citi in the red, but they are off the lows. And actually, you see J.P. Morgan Chase and Citigroup just popping their heads into that positive territory. And that is where we start today, specifically what it could be telling us about what is ahead for the full season. And is there a read-through for the economy. There always is, Bob Pisani. There is indeed. Uh, and I just want to point out that we started, the immediate reaction was sell on the news for the bank stocks. Just put them back up again. Uh, J.P. Morgan was 135 at the open, and it's been steadily moving up all throughout the morning. In fact, the overall market has been steadily moving up, now positive. Remember, 135 for J.P. Morgan right at the open. So what's the game here? What's going on? The investors are trying to use these banks as proxies for determining the soft landing. And the way they're doing this is they're looking at the loan loss provisions. These are provisions that these banks make to estimate uh, loan losses that they may have in the future. Now, these numbers are higher than they were in the prior quarter, uh, J.P. Morgan in particular, but they are not particularly higher on any historic basis. In fact, we had enormous increase in loan loss provisions, and then they went back in the COVID days, and they went back down. So these numbers, while they are higher than prior quarters, are not higher than any historic norms are out there. So if you're looking at this, you have to say, well, so far, they're not exactly anticipating any kind of big recession that's going on. I think people are starting to realize that. For Tech Check, and for those of you who like to watch technology stocks as we do, here's the big story. We've had just terrible situation here with these big cap text names where the earnings have been decimated in the last several months. And this is now priced into the market. But you see this. These are not typos. Amazon down 86%. NVIDIA down really big as well, down 38%. So we now know this is happening. Here's the big deal for everybody watching tech stocks. Can we start getting a lift and the earnings start coming back a little bit in 2023? Which is all priced into the market. We're now trying to game the second half of the year. Here's the technology estimates. As you can see, they're kind of crummy. We're going to be down in the fourth quarter. We're going to be down in the first quarter 
quarter. We're essentially flat to down in the second quarter. And now most of Wall Street believes in this soft landing hypothesis, which involves earnings improving in the second half of the year. And particularly in the fourth quarter, as you see, guys, that's where the big money is being made. And most of the big earnings estimates for this year, if there's any positive news at all, is all now built into the fourth quarter. So what side of that soft landing are you on to determine how optimistic or pessimistic you are. Guys? Right, and that, that soft landing crowd is certainly taking the reins to start the year. I was talking to one fund manager this morning, Bob, who's been, you know, quite uh, bearish for the last year, year and a half. He's been right. And I asked him what he thought of the bank earnings. He said that those comments from, from Jamie Dimon were positive, backing away from those hurricane comments. But at the end of the day, and I think this is what you were alluding to, that's financials. Technology makes up such a bigger part of the market, and this doesn't really change the thesis for what analysts and investors may be worried about when it comes to Azure growth or AWS growth or the enterprise spending world. Right. I think the big problem with technology is a lot of this uh, is now become sort of built into these systems. In other words, they are getting not as expensive as they used to be. And so the, the important thing is overall, uh, once you start seeing technology stocks sort of incorporating all of this new technology they've been having recently, it sort of gets built into the system. And we need to find newer ways, newer areas of growth that are going on. Uh, the the re-rating has already occurred. It's amazing how far the estimates uh, and the forward multiples have gone down for some of these big tech names. Some of them are, are now in the 20s that used to be in the 40s. That's much, much more attractive. But if you're not getting big margin growth out of it, if the margins are dropping a little bit, it's harder to justify the higher multiples. And that's kind of what we saw. We saw a re-rating of the multiple for these names. We've got to find new sources, new big profit centers that are out there. We need to find the next AWS. That's what we really need to find. <laughs> well, the folks at Amazon hoping <laughs> that AWS is the next AWS. Yep. Bob, thanks. <laughs> now, from financials to fintech, what's the read-through from today's earnings? Citi's CFO saying uh, it is building uh, reserves on the consumer side uh, tied to the outlook for the economy. Could we see the fintech sector traditionally known for riskier products take a step toward the safer side of things. Um, D, I, I think that's in part what we're seeing is traditional uh, financial companies and fintechs acting more alike. Yes. We, we're seeing that the trading revenues from equities wise, uh, you know, going down for these banks, but, uh, you know, uh, fixed income revenues higher. And we're seeing consumers expecting a bit more of a return on their savings. It used to be the likes of SoFi and Robinhood. We're talking about crypto. Hey, you can trade crypto over here. Now they're talking about the APY on their savings accounts. Totally. Um, you know, I actually, I agree with you here, John. It, it begs the question, how do you value these fintechs going forward? Yes. They've come down so much, but they are starting to look a little bit more like traditional banks, especially those that are deposit takers, right? Those that have either acquired a bank or applied and received their banking license, like Lending Club and SoFi. They now have deposits to draw on. So what's the innovation? They're kind of going a little backwards. But then you take a look at what banks have done and Goldman Sachs losing billions of dollars in its consumer lending business over the last few years. Um, are they equipped to do this? And is there more consolidation? I mean, this may make the case for it as valuations come down a lot and well, the likes of Goldman Sachs and others may not be able to pull it off organically. With the, with the traditional banks, we've got the loan loss reserves to look at when we think about the risk. I think with the fintechs, it's a little bit more of a question. If you're looking at an firm, if you're looking at a block, how do you tell if they're taking on too much risk before their results 
tell you. Uh, meanwhile, getting some, short-term lending. Yeah, getting some breaking news out of the Fed. And for that, let's go to Steve Leisman. Steve. It's statements of how much money it gave to the Treasury uh, in 2022, and it has fallen substantially, and it's going to fall some more, by the way. Uh, it fell to $76 billion in 2022 from $109 billion the year before. Uh, Fed, what it does is it pays interest on the reserves banks keep at the Federal Reserve. That interest expense, because interest rates went up, soared to $102 billion. That's up $96 billion, $97 billion from 2021. Uh, Federal Reserve banks, the 12 district banks, stopped transferring remittances to, tre- to the Treasury in September. By then, they had already paid $76 billion. Now, the difference between September and now is that they registered a deferred asset or a loss of nearly $19 billion over that time. Well, to remember, the Fed has transferred almost a trillion dollars to the Treasury over the past 10 years. And guys, what's going to happen this year is the Fed is not going to be giving much money or really not going to give any money at all to the Treasury because of the amount of money it's paying to the banks in uh, interest on reserves in order to keep that money on reserve at the Federal Reserve and not have that, those reserves creating inflation is the idea, Deirdre. Right. Steve Leisman, thanks very much. Pleasure. Well, from big banks to big CEOs in the spotlight this week for today's feed, we're taking a look at some big players who are feeling the heat in recent days and recent weeks. Bob Iger, of course, entering into a proxy battle with an activist investor. Satya Nadella is facing new pushback on Microsoft's embattled deal for Activision Blizzard. And Elon Musk, of course, always in the spotlight, but being forced to cut prices now on Tesla vehicles with slowing demand as he heads to trial over his 2018 tweets. Let's kick it off with Iger, Disney facing pressure from Nelson Peltz, saying the media giant that it has lost its way, focusing in on the loss of stock dividends, dwindling free cash flow, total shareholder return. Disney brought Iger back into the fold, of course, to right the ship. But can he weather the storm? Joining us now, New York Magazine editor-at-large and host of the podcast on with Kara Swisher and Pivot, Kara Swisher herself. Kara, it's great to have you. Um, I know last time we talked, you are a fan of Iger. You think that he is the right person for this job. But you also believe that Nelson Peltz deserves a seat on the board. Um, Does Nelson Peltz really think that Bob Iger is the right person? He was incredibly critical in that presentation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he does. I mean, obviously, I think they need a new CEO. I don't. Bob Iger signed a two-year deal, and obviously, you don't want to bring back the old CEO. You'd have liked the 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 heir to have done a better job. And so, he's what they need right now. And he certainly did a very good job at Disney for years. And so, I think it's to calm the waters. And I think Nelson Peltz is looking forward to what's coming next. And I think bringing an activist like this on a board could be good to move them faster into where they need to go to talk about what they're doing in streaming, um, to talk about someone who could take over for the next 10 years, uh, et cetera. And so I, I always think it's always good to have a board that's not all in violent agreement with you, who actually does challenge you. And Nelson Peltz has proved himself to be very good at this when he was on other boards. And so I don't necessarily think he's a disruptive force as much as a questioning force. And as you know, I I like questioning forces wherever I go. <laughs> this definitely disrupts the narrative, though, Kara, because yeah. can you have two white knights riding in on their white horses? Right. Both of them are claiming to do mm-hmm. that. Bob Iger's coming back, his triumphal entry back into Disney World, yeah. right, walking down the street. But here's Nelson Peltz saying, no, I'm going to come back and save this thing because under Iger, they were spending too much. So right. is the key dynamic whether they can come to a common narrative and they can both sort of save the company together? 
Maybe so. I mean, they were spending too much in the new economic environment. The old one, it was seen as a good deal, right? And streaming, if they hadn't done that, they might have been in bigger trouble. So it all, you know, everything changed rather significantly with the economy. And so that's, I think, you know, he's obviously got the trust of the employees and the executives. They love him. And and Wall Street, too. So he's got a lot of assets in that regard. Um, But it's still a good thing to have pressure to move faster in this environment and figure out what to do. And I don't think disagreement is a problem, again, as you know. And so (laughs) this is a person who has a very good track record in that regard. It's not someone who's just sort of coming in and and yelling, essentially. And so I think it's really important to have that kind of pressure on the Disney board. They finally moved and shifted some of the board members, but most of them are, uh, you know, Iger acolytes. And, And even he, I think, likes pushback, too. I know he doesn't they didn't initially want to bring him on the board, but I don't think they can. I think they should have him on the board. I don't know what pressure they could bring to bear because this isn't helping. Not you know necessarily. Well, speaking of pressure, how about mm-hmm. pressure on M and A? Satya Nadella yeah. is now facing resistance from Google and Nvidia over the desire to buy Activision Blizzard. They reportedly mm-hmm. spoke to the FTC over that sixty-nine billion dollar deal. Nvidia stressed the need for equal access to games but didn't directly Mm -hmm. oppose the acquisition. Microsoft responded to the report saying they are prepared to address issues raised by regulators or competitors to ensure ensure that the deal closes with confidence. Now, despite that confidence, Tuesday is going to mark the one-year anniversary of the acquisition being announced, um, and there isn't a lot of movement. Kara, how high are the stakes for Microsoft here, though? Because I don't think anybody's well, arguing that gaming is the future of Microsoft, but mm-hmm. it is an awful nice way to load up your cloud. A hundred percent. You know, I think gaming is very uh, competitive, so I'm, I'm not sure why this particular deal has been focused on so much. But, of course, Google and, and NVIDIA are going to pile on. This is an opportunity for competitors, right? And so that that's normal for them to do that. I do think that they have a lot of trouble. I happen to be in Germany right now. In Europe, uh, they've got with the EU, who hasn't moved yet, of course, the FTC. Um, and so it's going to be a difficult acquisition to get through. I think there, there's a lot of pressure here um, because it's, uh, you know, the, these big companies buying things has been under scrutiny, whether it's Microsoft or Meta or Google itself. Google can't really buy much either. Um, and so I think this is this is a, a deal a lot more at risk than I suspect people think it is. Um, you know, I, I I don't quite know what they could buy if they can't buy this, given the market, you know, the, the Chinese and Japanese dominate the gaming market. Um, and it's not Activision that does, and it's not Microsoft that does. So it'll be interesting to see what happens and how they handle it, but they may have to get a lot of reassurances to regulators. Um, it's going to be much tougher than, say, the AT&T deal um, a couple of years ago that the Justice Department opposed. Right. Uh, finally, Kara, let's turn to the executive facing professional and personal heat, none other than Elon <laughs> Musk. Who, who would yeah, it who be? Could that be? Uh, you guessed right. <laughs> Tesla is slashing prices stateside and in Europe as demand slows for their electric vehicles, prompting a downgrade from Guggenheim to sell and a price cut mm-hmm. from City this morning. Um, right mm-hmm. now, and during our show, in fact, Musk is fighting to move the trial for his investor lawsuit over his funding secured tweet. Can't forget that either from 2018. The stock is, of course, uh, far from being worth 420 now, losing more than two thirds of its value in the past 12 months. Kara, how do you judge this situation? I mean, for us, especially as we look at public markets, we've just seen this enormous sell-off in Tesla at a really critical Mm -hmm. moment when it's facing more competition coming online. What does he do Mm -hmm. here? 
make more trouble? I don't know. He keeps making a lot of there's I when you when someone texts me about this, I'm like, which lawsuit? Is it the severance lawsuit? Yeah. Is it this lawsuit? <laughs> um, you know, he this is how he operates. He's very obstreperous and he really likes to get into fights. And in this this is an older lawsuit from the from the four twenty the weed reference thing he did. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it'll be interesting. He's trying to move the venue from San Francisco because they don't like him in San Francisco. I don't know what he's going to use as proof. Maybe that Dave Chappelle uh, situation. <laughs> but, you know, he's trying to uh, trying to move it to Texas, which is not going to happen. Um, and I think it's going to go forward here. Um, you know, he's caused the reason they're, that they may not like him is because of things he's done. That's kind of a weird argument to make. I've done all these things to cause myself to be unlikable and therefore they're not, they don't like me. Um, you know, I think more, more of the issue is Tesla. It's just, but, everyone yeah. should focus and I guess the Tesla. question, like he's mm -hmm. always been feisty and he's all, he's never mm -hmm. shied away from a battle, but this time is it different? Yeah. I think feisty is different than being a jerk, right? There's a kind of thing where you think about whether you want to buy these cars. There's a lot more competition and, and choices. I'm, again, I'm here in Germany. My uh, Mercedes and BMW are doing some really interesting things. Tesla's still far ahead in terms of technology and manufacturing and uh, and uh, and making the cars that people want. But there's huge demand. This demand for these EVs are going to go up rather significantly. And he should be focusing on Tesla. I mean, completely focusing on Tesla. And it's very difficult because people have choices. I I mean, I, I joke about it on the pivot, but I just bought a Chevy Bolt. I could have been a Tesla owner. And I just there were lots of reasons I wasn't the price and, and different things like that. Um, but he's got to focus on that because demand is off. Demand is off in China. Um, he's going to face issues there with this new Chinese committee and subcommittee in Congress. Um, yep. So he's got a lot of challenges. And so he should be I mean, they never cut prices on Tesla's. Right. So it shows that maybe it's some combination of the way he behaves at Twitter to lots of cho there are lots of choices um, to also, other things. Kara shows yeah, that yeah. when executives start making pot references in their stock prices, yeah. <laughs> be careful, folks out there. Kara, yeah. thanks. Yeah. You can't uh, resist, though. You. There'll be more. There'll well, be maybe more. you can Don't resist worry. now, the way these are turning no, out. No, he can't. He cannot. <laughs> Coming he will up, not. dilution delusion. Is stock-based compensation creating a stock dilution problem for the likes of Uber and Lyft? Plus, Despite the drops we are seeing today, the markets are holding on to solid gains for the week. The Nasdaq is up more than 3%. We're going to look at the role the retail trader is playing in this route. Be right back. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba -ba. 
One of the big themes this year amid the downturn has been a focus on profitability, of course, in some cases overgrowth. One metric that we've looked at closely is free cash flow versus stock-based compensation. There are, of course, other ways to gauge profitability. Uber, DoorDash, and Lyft have all seen a drawdown over the past year, with the latter two losing nearly two-thirds of their value. But if we look at profitability, there is a reason why investors may be more bullish on Uber. Of course, relative is an issue in this group. Looking at free cash flow versus stock-based compensation, Uber has a tighter margin than that of DoorDash or Lyft. Altimer Capital's Thomas Rayner, also looking at dilution based on restricted stock units, or RSUs, found that Uber is best positioned for the coming year as well. So will Uber be able to outpace the competition? And which other stocks should you trade based on this stat? Or at least what do you need to be aware of going into earnings season? Joining us now, former Uber chief business officer, Emil Michael. Emil, it's great to have you in person. Welcome to, to TechCheck. Good to be here for the first time in a while. So Uber may be best positioned, but doesn't really mean that any of them are particularly well positioned when, as I said, the market is looking more towards profitability. These are companies that have grown up on stock-based compensation. You are part of that yeah. business model. Um, so as their stock prices flounder, what do you think that investors need to know about dilution and their prospects over the next year or two? Yeah, I think they have to, investors have to look at whether they're going to maintain the high level of dilution related to stock-based comp right now. Because the market's changed for tech workers, right? The, the tech employers now have a little more leverage than they did last year. So if these companies can regulate to get their stock-based comp under control while growing free cash flow and EBITDA, that would be a good thing for them. But that means more cash outflow if they don't do it through stock-based compensation. But more, maybe more of a bigger question to you. You've been critical of Uber, but the street likes them so much. Um, highly bullish mean price target of $45. Where's the disconnect there? What are they seeing that you're not? The analysts are, have been remarkably consistent and positive on Uber with price targets of $60, $70, and so on. Um, I think Dar is actually quite good at communicating to the street and the analysts about what he's going to do. And I've, I still hold the stock, and I hold it because I think this service is not going away. It's global. It's a verb. It's a noun. And hopefully it should, it should just work. And if it's run efficiently, it should deliver profits. But I think Wall Street's in a show-me stage right now. If you're a hedge fund, you're saying, show me the money. Yeah, and I get a sense <laughs> that you are as well. Does that mean you're holding on to the stock that you have? Is that a vote of confidence for Dara? It's a vote of hope for Dara and the team that they can take what they've just done in stock uh, in free cash flow, reduce stock-based comp as a percentage, and come out the other side of this looking good. Okay. Well, Emil, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for today. being we'll here. We'll talk to you again. Soon. Appreciate it. John. Yeah, speaking of the gig economy and side hustles, the IRS is delaying its tax reporting rule for payment apps, including PayPal and Venmo. Robert Frank uh, joins with the details. Robert, this is a delay. You know, but it's coming. Yes, it is coming. And it, John, it affects a lot of companies. So you're talking about uh, Venmo, PayPal, Airbnb, eBay, even Etsy. The IRS is delaying a rule that would have required these payment platforms to send 1099 tax forms to customers who earn more than $600 during the year. That's up from the current threshold of $20,000. So a huge change. Now, these forms would also go to the IRS. So the IRS saying the forms are going to start next year instead due to concerns regarding the timeline and, quote, confusion. You confused? Well, a lot of people are. So here's what you need to know. This delay does not change the actual tax requirements. If you receive any business income through a third-party payment platform, you owe taxes. Only payments labeled as business on these apps or platforms will be taxed. Personal payments 
are exempt. So if you reimburse a friend for dinner or pay your roommate for rent, it's not subject to tax. If you sell something for a gain, those profits are also taxed. So if you sell your couch for more than you paid, good for you, you owe taxes. If you sell it for less, you don't. Accountants suggest you actually create two separate accounts, one for your business, one for your personal, so there's less risk that your personal payments get reported to the IRS and tax. Again, you still owe tax no matter what the IRS decides to do. It's just the, uh, the actual oversight of this that's been delayed until next year. This is the downside of the convenience of technology, right? Is that now Big Brother, Uncle Sam, whatever you want to call him, is able to look digitally over your shoulder and say, eh, about that tax you owe me. Yes, they're looking over your shoulder, but it has also allowed more people to, to, to get more income that's not taxed. In other words, a lot of people were getting cash or getting checks or, or going to the bank account that was visible to the IRS that now is not visible, and a lot of people are not reporting income that they used to because these apps have made it so easy to pay large amounts for businesses and services. They estimated this bill would have added about a billion dollars a year in revenue to the IRS in the first year, eight. $80 billion or $8 billion over 10 years. So there was a lot of money that was going untaxed because technology allowed that. Well, as Eddie Murphy said at the Golden Globes, pay your taxes. Um, still a lot of companies using cash, though, in and New York anyway. And <laughs> don't things. slap Will Smith. That was part of it, too. Right, I know. That's, that's what I was referring to. The, the end, that was the kicker. Uh, that was the kicker. Pay your taxes and don't stop Will Smith. I think there was one more, but I can't remember. Anyways, up next, a resurgence in the meme stock trade. Retail investors upping their appetite for speculative names this week, at least, like Bed Bath & Beyond, up more than nearly 300% since Monday. Take a look at shares of Tesla as well, getting hit today after the company announced price cuts for some models across Europe and the U.S. in an effort to bolster demand. Guggenheim also cutting the name to sell from Hold, saying it believes the estimates are too optimistic ahead of results. Target goes to 89 bucks. We'll be right back. Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at tmobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. Risk appetite appears to be on the rise as retail investors start to pile back into the market, especially into those meme and high beta names. Our Kate Rooney is with us with more. Um, it's been an interesting start to the year, it has, it and has. it's largely retail. It driven. has a lot of uh, retail returning to the market and risk appetite yeah. growing a little bit. So Main Street investors, D, appear to be fueling some of the gains in riskier, high-growth tech names this week and maybe helping the overall rebound we've seen in stocks. We've got some new data from Vanda Research. January tends to be seasonally pretty strong uh, for retail inflows, but if you look at buying over the past five days, it's trending well above a normal level in a normal year after a dip we saw in December. At the same time, there's been a concentration of retail buying around some of the stocks that led the markets this week, suggesting, as Vanda put it, that mom-and-pop investors are also helping lift equities. Amazon, Microsoft, NVIDIA were some of the top retail buys and also some of the leaders of the S&P this week. Vanda also points out that institutional investors were positioned a little bit more cautiously heading into the CPI number yesterday, the most buying we've seen has been concentrated around one name, Tesla. The EV maker saw its largest net buys ever on Tuesday, despite 
declines in that stock lately. It's the second most widely held stock right now behind Apple. The meme stock bankruptcy playbook. We all remember that. It's being revived a bit. Bed Bath & Beyond saw a flood of speculation similar to what we saw with Hertz back in 2020. They also piled into names with higher levels of short interest. So some of the original meme stocks, AMC and GameStop, for example, have seen elevated short interest and were some of the top buys, D. Uh, so I was reading a note from Mizuho this morning. They say that this could be the lowest conviction rally <laughs> you'll ever see. Um, coming as a surprise to probably nobody. These are meme stock yep. names, high growth names. We know what's happened last October and last summer. Yep. Um, but we've got earnings season coming up. So typically that's a time when retail investors continue to trade, right? October's a great analogy. So we saw retail also leading the rally in October, having some of the same dynamics play out where they were buying some of these Higher, higher growth names didn't really last into the end of the year. As far as retail, uh, excuse me, earnings season, um, that tends to be seasonally a pretty strong couple weeks for, uh, for retail inflows. It's based on volatility. They see more upside, and you typically see retail net inflows spike around earnings. On the flip side, the end of February, when, when some of the bigger names have already reported, it tends to die off. So that's another thing about conviction. Will it last through earnings season? It may last a couple weeks here, but yeah. will it last through the Which is tough because if earnings season is going to be disappointing, they're the ones going to be holding the bag again. Yeah, exactly. John? All right, coming up, tech earnings around the corner with Netflix less than a week away. Have estimates come down enough? We're going to ask a top Wall Street analyst. Plus, as ChatGPT takes off, could Google's margins be at risk? That's next. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Frank Holland. Here's what's happening at this hour. Consumers are starting off the year with rising optimism. University of Michigan's Consumer Sentiment Index jumped nearly five points to 64.6. That's well above estimates. The higher sentiment is helped by falling inflation expectations that have dropped to 4%. That's the lowest in 20 months. Delta seeing its stock fall 4% despite posting strong quarterly results. The airline says higher labor costs will take a bite out of its first quarter profits, driving them well below estimates. However, Delta maintained its EPS guidance for the full year. And designer Tom Brown has prevailed in a lawsuit brought against sportswear giant Adidas. Adidas had sued the luxury brand, saying that Tom Brown's parallel stripe designs were just too close to Adidas' three-stripe trademark. The jury disagreed. Adidas says it is considering an appeal. That's the very latest. John, back over to you. Thanks, Frank. Now, let's take a look at the markets right now. We are off the lows, the major indices, with the NASDAQ coming back from a more than 1% loss. Uh, The NASDAQ and S&P both fractionally lower. The Dow just a little bit higher, about flat. Uh, Another move higher by Netflix after Bank of America names at a top pick for 2023. That name is up 6% for the full week. And the defense stocks moving to the downside led by Northrop Grumman, uh, Goldman Sachs, downgrading the major players in that space with Northrop getting a sell. D. Well, John, we started today's show with discussing that messy Q4 for banks, but with some of the biggest names in tech reporting over the next few weeks, have expectations come down far enough or are estimates still too high as we head into big tech earnings? Let's take a closer look with Morgan Stanley Managing Director Brian Nowak. Brian, good morning to you and thanks for coming on. Uh, How do you reconcile your price targets for Companies like Alphabet and Amazon, those targets higher than where they are currently trading with your overall outlook for this year where you expect slower growth. Good morning. Happy Friday. Thanks for thanks for having me. No, I think uh, we're we're still generally are we like Amazon a lot. We like Alphabet a lot. We're more equal weight on the meta side. But I think stepping back at a big picture, a lot of the estimates on sell side consensus numbers, we see sort of in line to a little revision risk 
from a top line perspective. But I would argue that the the larger risk that we see tactically heading into some of these earnings is a lot more on the earnings power. You know, we see some margin risks on the on Alphabet because of excess hiring over the last couple of years. We still see margin risk at Amazon as they're growing into their overbuild and a slowing AWS situation. So, you know, estimates don't generally look highly beatable. And I think sort of stepping into the next couple of weeks of earnings, I do think that there's tactically more risk on the profit side than there mm-hmm. is the top line across the space. So given all of those risk factors, you've got Amazon price target at 140 bucks. It's sub 100 right now. What's going to get it there in a year where we have this recession risk, um, worries about margins, about AWS? Yeah. Yeah, we think the uh, the key for Amazon is really to just deliver on core retail profitability. And I would just sort of uh, remind everyone that if you look back to 2021 and 2022, Amazon overbuilt. You know, they they made a mistake. They built too many warehouses, too many square feet open, and essentially as e-commerce consumer spending slowed, they had too many feet and not enough units to roll over all those square feet. And so they're not as efficient as they should be in their overall logistics business. As e-commerce grows over the course of the year, we think you're going to see better utilization of all those warehouses. And we think that overall profitability for the company is going to start to beat as we get into the spring, summer, fall, and back half of the year. Okay, let's talk Alphabet. Price target of 120, it's also sub 100. And also you raised the idea that it could face um, further margin pressure because of the pressure that ChatGPT and OpenAI, its parent company, is putting on Alphabet. It could push the company to push out its own AI product faster. So run through that with us and then how Alphabet ends the year higher from here, given those pressures. Yeah, that's right. I think it's it's really important for everyone to continue to pay attention to all of the the rapid innovation in artificial intelligence. Right now, led by OpenAI and ChatGPT, don't forget, Alphabet has been aggressively investing in artificial intelligence for years. We think that they have products. Their product is called Lambda. I think we're all going to become more familiar with over the course of the year that is similar to OpenAI and ChatGPT. And we think that they are more than likely to roll one of those products out over the course of the year to show that they are just as AI equipped as ChatGPT is. The key point of this, though, is like, don't worry about the consumer use case. It is a lot more compute intensive and expensive, quote unquote, for Alphabet mm-hmm. to run these natural language queries than it is their current search queries. So it's a margin risk. And there is some revenue risk as well we can talk about. But we don't worry about ChatGPT disrupting Google's position at the top of the search funnel. Right. Maybe shorter-term pressure. Uh, Brian, thanks for being with us. Talk to you again soon. Thank you. Well, the tech-heavy Nasdaq is under pressure, but Chinese tech names are in the green, extending a rally they've been having all year, all few days of it. We're going to break down China's latest regulatory move, allowing DD apps back online and the impact there, plus VMware, Seeing a nearly 20% rally in the last three months. Of course, we know why that is. We're going to catch up with the CEO to talk outlook for 2023. Be right back. 
Chinese authorities signaling a pullback on its crackdown on tech that continues and now reportedly set to allow Didi's ride-hailing app and suite of other apps back online. After almost two years, shares of Didi on the OTC market, remember it was delisted from the NICE. They are popping this morning, up 3%. And it's just the latest sign that China's regulatory crackdown on tech that started in mid-2021 may be starting to thaw. Didi coming off a regulatory-driven revamp after cyber watchdog Cyberspace Administration of China imposed a $1.2 billion fine on the company back in July. That is the largest penalty imposed on a Chinese tech firm since Alibaba was fined $2.75 billion in Meituan, $527 million back in 2021. The country's crackdown slicing hundreds of billions of dollars off tech valuations as well as shrinking Chinese tech revenues and profits to date. And that is the key point here, John. Didi, I highly doubt it's going to look like that company that went public that had all of those prospects ahead of it. Same goes for Ant Group. This was one of the most innovative, one of the most exciting fintech companies in the world. What does it look like now? Those ambitions have been so scaled back. Some might even argue looks more like a traditional financial services company than any kind of exciting fintech. When I try to look at this from an investor perspective, D, the thing that gets me is, yeah, the Chinese government is easing off, but for how long? There's not a lot of clarity from where I sit on what the promise is, what the exact guardrails are that they were trying to set up, and yeah. how we know that in six months, they're not just going to do the same thing again, maybe with the same group of stocks, maybe with education uh, uh, companies again, maybe with yeah. some other group, maybe with well, the same group. You don't know. You just kind of take your chances. They're already looking at online brokerages, and that just slammed those stocks that are listed here. Um, but also the question of how much value has been destroyed. You take a look at the K-Web. Uh, we talked about this earlier this week, and some of the top holdings are Alibaba and Tencent. I mean, Tencent is barely growing anymore, so you got to wonder if the next group of winners um, selected by Beijing is going to change that whole story and how Americans can invest in these companies. Clearly, you can trade them. Can you hold them? That is going to be one of the questions for 23. Meanwhile, VMware coming in at number 11 on this year's Just 100 list. The stock also seeing a nice rally over the last three months, up nearly 20%. We're going to talk to the CEO next. Plus, Tim Cook is taking a voluntary pay cut with his compensation coming down 40%. We've got the details coming up. Welcome back. Just Capital and CNBC releasing the Just 100 list this week. Cloud services company VMware climbing to number 11 overall from 55 last year, ranking second among software companies in the Russell 1000, leading on some key issues, most notably wages, reporting numbers by both gender and race, something only 14% of Russell 1000 companies do, shedding light on their strategy and how they got here as VMware CEO Raghu Raghuram. Uh, Raghu, welcome. welcome. Uh, the treatment of workers overall is a big part of this ranking. And the data that VMware has chosen to disclose and the pay analysis uh, that you've done is a big part of that. What's the impact on the workers, on morale? Yeah, so firstly, we are very excited and proud to, about the recognition. And a big part of the recognition, like you pointed out, uh, is about how do we treat our employees? And this has been a consistently baked into our values and how we measure our leaders. And so it's been very well received. It's not just, by the way, the first year. We've been steadily working at, uh, at, uh, at this aspect of uh, uh, employee compensation. And we are very, very proud that we are number one 
uh, among software companies in pay equity and competitive wages across gender and uh, various other categorizations. Yeah, there aren't a lot of these things that the Just 100 measures that you can do really quickly in just a year. You can choose to disclose some things, but they're not going to look so good unless you've been working on them. Uh, environment is another area where you score relatively high. 100 uh, percent renewable energy that you're using in operations. As we've been through this period of energy prices being high, how have the efforts that you put into environment affected your ability to hedge and take advantage of even then falling prices in some cases? Yeah, so uh, we don't run data centers. So by uh, uh, as a company, our consumption is not uh, um, so large that it requires very complicated hedging strategies. But the most exciting thing about what we do is our technology naturally lends itself to our customers becoming more energy efficient. And we have calculated that we have helped our customers avoid 1.2 billion metric tons of CO2 emission. And uh, we have built sustainability metrics into our products. So when a customer uses our products to run their data centers, then they can automatically adjust how their data centers operate uh, to optimize their energy consumption. And that is a big, big step forward in them managing their own energy expenses. So that's a key reason why uh, we jumped from 55 to 11. Now, I don't see Broadcom on this Just 100 list. They're in the process, uh, they hope, and many investors hope, of acquiring you. So what happens to these policies um, and this ranking, I wonder, uh, if that acquisition goes through? Yeah, we are very excited by the acquisition, and we have been uh, collaborating with uh, Broadcom uh, on a number of topics since the acquisition in terms of the post-merger planning eventuality. And this is one of the areas they're very, very excited by. They've got a strong ESG program on their own. And they are also a manufacturing company, so they have a lot of emphasis on things like sustainable manufacturing. And so we are very excited that our philosophies align in this regard. Got to ask you some color on um, customer demand in enterprise coming out of the Q4 we just had. How do things look to you? Yeah, by the way, our Q4 is still in progress. We are in the last month of the quarter. So speaking at a much higher level of altitude, uh, we are not immune from the economic cycles, but here is the interesting thing that we are seeing certainly in our industry category. Customers are undertaking their digital transformation and they see that as once in a decade transformation. So while they are very careful with their budgets, they continue to prioritize things that would help them transform themselves into a digital company and we benefit from that. All right, Raghu Raghuram from VMware, thank you. Thank you. And coming up, this isn't something you hear too often, a CEO cutting his own pay. That's right, Tim Cook giving himself a pay cut. We've got those details ahead. Plus, if you missed part of the show, do not forget to follow and subscribe to our podcast. Listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you download podcasts. Tech Check is back in just a moment. There's a lot of criticism of executive compensation out there these days in corporate America. Tim Cook perhaps feeling the pressure voluntarily taking a 40% pay cut. Steve Kovac is here to explain. Steve. 
Hey there, John. Yeah, so Cook's pay cut comes in response to a dramatic drop in shareholders' approval of his compensation package last year. And as a result, Cook's 2023 compensation will be $49 million, down from down 40% from the target of $84 million last year. His new pay breaks down like this, $3 million in base pay, $6 million in cash incentives, and $40 million in equity awards. Now, the equity awards bit is changing, too. 75% of those awards would be tied to performance before 50% of his stock awards would vest over time, even if Cook retired. So if Cook was planning to retire soon, he has less incentive to do so now based on those new stock award structure. Apple's board also saying they'll keep Cook's future compensation in the 80th to 90th percentiles among his peers. That means companies like Amazon, Microsoft, Intel, and Disney. And of course, like you said, John, this all comes amid scrutiny for sky-high CEO pay. I'll give you one example, though. Bob Iger actually got a pay cut when he returned to Disney as CEO last year with a $1 million base salary and a target of $25 million in stock incentives. Now, that's far below the $65 million a year he was making at one point, John. Now, Steve, all of these stocks are trading well below where they have been recently, though. So while you might say that they're taking less money, if they're gearing more of that toward performance, they might still end up with more money. Yeah, that's right. And we also can't lose sight of the fact that Shareholder approval for Tim Cook's compensation just fell dramatically. It was something like 95 percent approval in previous votes. And a year ago when they voted on it, it was down to like 64 percent. So just that huge drop is what Apple said in their filing yesterday that caused them to engage more with investors and say, hey, what changes can we make here to make you guys feel more comfortable with Cook's pay? So that's what's going on here. Yeah. Investors tend to feel like if I'm not making more money from the company, <laughs> exactly. you shouldn't be either. Steve, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> and we're going to book on the show and close out with earnings. Banks today, of course, John Netflix is going to kick off the tech parade next week. Uh, NASDAQ, though, clung back earlier losses. We were at the flat line for a little bit, but still underwater by about a third of one percent. What does it tell us about the upcoming earnings season? I mean, if you think that bank earnings were decent, I know they were a mixed bag and they were messy, but if they were decent and the markets are still largely lower on this, um, doesn't bode well to that, especially that retail-driven rally that Rooney was talking about earlier? Well, it seems to me like the banks set aside more for loan loss reserves, which yeah. people initially read as, uh-oh. But then on the calls, they're saying, ah, wait a minute, the consumer still looks pretty good. So, yeah, we're doing this, but don't read too much into it. Well, we're going to read more into the overall economy as we get more of these earnings numbers and perhaps people will rethink that reversal that we got today, Dee. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's something we talk a lot about um, is enterprise spending, right? So in that case, we're going to be looking at quarter over quarter earnings, perhaps not the year over year. All something to look forward to in the weeks ahead. John, as we'll be busy. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.